We are kicking off the, the Sermon on the Mount this week. Scott gave the intro last week. We're diving into Matthew chapter 5 today, um, and we're really glad that you're here. My name's Sutton. I'm on staff here um, as one of the pastors. Contrary to what Scott said last week, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I didn't know Scott was going to say that, and so I was sitting there and I was like, maybe, where am I going? What? <laughs> so he got me too. Um, I have a question that I'd like to start uh, today with. And the question is this, um, when I say the phrase, the good life, what do you think of? The good life. What does that make you think of? Maybe for you, that conjures up images of wealth and abundance, having lots of things. Uh, Maybe for you, it's more like being healthy and fit and active and attractive. Um, Maybe for you, it's more of um, like... Uh, just kind of a, an image of peace and calm and having your family around you, nothing to worry you or be anxious about, everything in its place. Uh, maybe for you, it's more images of success and fame and being YouTube famous or TikTok famous. Um, maybe it's images of like beaches and golf courses, fun things to do and fun places to go. Um, but whatever comes to your mind when you think of the good life, I would imagine that it's not Matthew 5 verses 1 through 12 uh, in the Beatitudes. But surprisingly, what we're going to see today is that the Beatitudes, in, in the Beatitudes, Jesus is offering us his version of the good life, what he sees as the good life. And through them, he is inviting us to change our perspective and to see things God's way. And when we do this, we will not only live differently, but we will be different. We will be a different kind of people. And so that's what the Sermon on the Mount and discipleship is all about, us becoming a different kind of person, the person that God's made us to be. So um, let's pray, and then we'll read the Beatitudes together. Again, it's Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to grab one out of the seats in front of you, and it's on page 958 of those church Bibles. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we have um, yeah, sung your praises this morning that you're our resurrected king. Um, and that is a rock-solid reality that changes everything. And so I pray that as we hear your words this morning, as we um, are challenged and convicted by you and in your vision of the good life, then I pray, Lord, that um, we'd be just open uh, to your Holy Spirit, that as you work on our hearts and point things out, that we would be uh, willing and ready to follow you wherever you lead, to, to give up what you're asking us to give up and to, uh, to change um, in ways that you would prompt us to by your Spirit. So lead us now, Lord, we pray. Uh, speak to us, Holy Spirit. For the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 12 begins this way. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Beatitudes, my first thought is, so what now? I mean, you might have just been hearing them for the first time. The Beatitudes are what we call this first section of of kind of blessings that Jesus gives at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So it might be your first time. You might have heard them since you were little, uh, like myself, um, heard them all growing up. Um, But either way, they're really kind of cryptic. They're kind of confusing, I think. Um, And so as I began to study them, I thought, Jesus, what, what the heck are you trying to say to us here? Like, what, what are these trying to communicate? And so I, I did some digging, and I'd like to share with you the results of, of that digging. So first off, the name Beatitudes is kind of strange to us. It comes from a Latin word, beatus, and it means happy, uh, fortunate, or flourishing. Um, and that is, is actually a more accurate translation of the Greek word there, makarios, Um, which is the word that begins each of these statements that most Bibles translate as blessed. But the problem is that there is a Greek word and a Hebrew word for blessed or blessing, and neither of those words are this word, makarios. And so this word was actually quite popular at the time and used in a common sort of formula or saying that Jewish rabbis would use, Greek philosophers would use, everyday people would use to say that is the kind of person that's living the good life. Makarios is the person who, blessed, happy, fortunate, thriving, flourishing, is the person who, and then fill in the blank, person who has a family, the person who has a house, the person who, you know, does whatever, they're the ones who are living the good life. And that's a little different, I think, that hits a little different than us just saying blessed. Um, When we hear blessed are those who, it's almost like we're saying, well, if we are this way or do this thing, then God will bless us. But Jesus is saying, no, if these things are true, then you are already living the good life. Why? Because the kingdom of God is yours and all the benefits of it are coming to you. And so the blessing really is actually the second half of the statement. Pretty crazy. So remember, we're in Matthew chapter 5. The first four chapters of Matthew, um, Matthew is very much setting up Jesus and and his birth as the birth of a king. Uh, And then Jesus begins his public ministry and he steps onto the public scene. And the first thing he says in the book of Matthew is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, that's his message. The good news of this coming kingdom that you have to turn from going your own way and turn to that king and that kingdom. And so Jesus is proclaiming this message to a group of people who are living under the oppression of a a kingdom of the world. Um, The people of Israel are under the authority and rule of the kingdom of Rome, the Roman Empire. Uh, And it's been that way for about a hundred years when Jesus uh, begins his public ministry. And so Jesus is saying that God's rule of love and life and peace and joy is breaking in 
right in the midst of all of the brokenness and frustration that the people of Israel are experiencing. And here in the Beatitudes, Jesus is saying, even though it doesn't look like it now, the kingdom of God is here and it is coming. And so these are the people who are living the good life. These are the thriving ones, the fortunate ones, the ones who have it made in light of eternity. These people are the ones living their best life, we might say. And then he gives this list of people that by the world standards sound like anything but those who are on top and living the good life. And so what's his point? Well, I think part of the point that Jesus is making here is that you don't have to be impressive by the world's standards to be welcomed into his kingdom. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be a certain race or a certain social class. You don't have to have your life together to be welcomed into the kingdom of Jesus. No, Jesus is looking at this ragtag band of people, fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes and all kinds of different people from all walks of life. And he's saying, y'all are it. You're the ones I'm starting this kingdom with. These are the people that are living the good life, the, the poor, the mourners, the meek, those who are struggling and wanting righteousness, wanting things to be right. Jesus is taking the value systems of the world and he's flipping them on their head. And he's saying, in my kingdom, it's upside down. It's not the way the world does it. Jesus's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. And so I think sometimes biblical words and passages, especially ones that we hear a lot, can become so familiar to us that they completely lose their meaning. Um, and so I certainly do not claim to be a Greek scholar, um, but I've done some listening, some digging, uh, some studying behind these words. Um, and so this week, just trying to, to gain more understanding, I rewrote the Beatitudes in my own words. Um, thanks for laughing at that. Um, <laughs> They say it's actually one of the best way to learn is when you put things in your own words. So um, I'm not trying to dishonor the scriptures or uh, the people who translate them, but I think uh, the more you get behind these words, the more you see how surprising what Jesus is saying really is. So the Bible Project, who we watched one of their videos last week, uh, they translate it as the good life belongs to those who. It's kind of crazy. Another com commentator I've been reading um, translates translates it as flourishing are those who. Um, and so I'm going to go with the word thriving because that's one that we use pretty commonly. It means close to the same thing. But the point here as I read these is to hear it with fresh ears, to hear with fresh ears the surprising nature of the upside down kingdom that Jesus is in charge of and that he was beginning right here in Matthew 5. So here you go. Thriving are the spiritually impoverished because God's kingdom is theirs. Thriving are the grieving. He's basically saying, happy are the sad. It's crazy. Thriving are the grieving because comfort and advocacy will be theirs. Thriving are the gentle, the humble, the ones who don't use force to get ahead. They will acquire the whole world. Thriving are those earnestly desiring right relationships with God and with each other. They will get exactly that. Thriving are those willing to show God's love to the undeserving. They will receive God's love as one of the undeserving. Thriving are those who do not want to sin. 
they will see the invisible God. Thriving are those who work for the wholeness and the well-being of others. They will be counted among God's family. Thriving are those who are hunted down for being and doing what is right because God's kingdom is theirs. Thriving are you when you're mocked, cursed, hunted, and lied about because of me. Be happy and jump for joy because you have a great reward from God and you're in the company of his messengers who came before you. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's kind of wild. Jesus is saying some some crazy stuff that people would have heard and been like, what is he talking about? This is a whole different kind of kingdom. And so we should feel a little bit of that shock and surprise at what Jesus is saying. And certainly the people he's talking to would have felt that. And friends, I believe that Jesus is still saying those same things to us today. Jesus is inviting us to live, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, by faith, not by sight. To believe that there is a bigger, deeper, more permanent reality than what we see with our eyes. He's inviting us to look at those in difficult and sad and hopeless situations, but who have hearts who are fighting for what is good and right, and to believe that they are the ones who are living the good life. Even though it might not look like it right now, they are the ones living the good life. Why? Because in Jesus, the kingdom of God has arrived, and in Jesus, the kingdom of God is going to fully come one day. Jesus inaugurated his kingdom while he was on earth, and he will one day consummate that kingdom when he returns again. And so now you and I live in this tension, an uncomfortable place where the people that Jesus says are living the good life, it doesn't look like they're living a good life right here and right now. And so we live in this tension that theologians call the already and the not yet between the first and the second coming of Christ, where we are called to not live by what our eyes see, but by faith by faith. You see, what these people that Jesus was talking to, many of them expected him to do, was to show up as a conquering military leader, uh, to vanquish the Romans, to right the wrongs of his people, and to right the wrongs of the world, undoing injustice and oppression um, and all those things. And what we expect Jesus to do is really the same thing. We expect him to come into our life to fix all of our problems and to make everything easier for us right here, right now. And if life is going fine and easy, notice that's when we tend to say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Yeah, stuff's going good. But surprisingly, that is not at all what Jesus is saying. He says, no, that's not what I'm doing right now. One day I will return as the conquering king and I will judge evil and I will judge the nations and I will right the wrongs and I will make a whole new creation. But here and now, my heart is, my kingdom is coming in the hearts of people in small and in humble ways that the world will scoff at and look down upon. And so you have to trust me. You have to, like we sang, take me at my word. And believe that I know what the true, real, lasting, good life is. You have to believe that this is the real deal. This is the good life you've been longing for. It's like Jesus is saying, I want you to step into a whole different reality. A different way of seeing. A different way of being in the world. 
I do not value what the world values. If you follow me, you will look different and you will suffer for it. But be glad because that means you're getting it. You're getting it. You are becoming whole and holy like me and you are on your way back to the life you were made for. Friends, that is the life of discipleship. That is what Jesus is inviting you and I into today, a life that looks totally different from what the world says is the good life. That is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And so we might sum it up this way. Jesus is calling us to see different, be different, and live different. See different, be different, live different. So first, he's inviting us to a whole different way of seeing the world, of seeing things in light of eternity from God's perspective, so that we will have a different vision of the good life than the rest of the world around us. And when this happens, we become a different kind of person. So we can't change our vision ourselves. The Lord does that for us. We can't make ourselves a different person. Jesus does that in us. But as he does this, as he invites us into his kingdom, we become a different kind of person who doesn't love what the world loves and doesn't value what the world values. And as we become a different kind of person, as God changes us from the inside out, we begin to live differently. We don't want to sin anymore. We want right relationships with everyone. We don't want to have grudges or or beef with anybody. We want to work for wholeness and peace and life for others and for the world around us, no matter who mocks us or who might persecute us, because we're living in a different kingdom. We're living in a different kingdom. See different, be different, live different. That's what Jesus is inviting us to. So the question remains before us, if this is Jesus's vision of the good life, If the kingdom of God is here right now in the midst of of all of our brokenness and all the stuff that we're dealing with, then how do we access it? How do we get in? Well, I think the door is right there at the beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Thriving are the spiritually impoverished. It is only when you recognize that you have nothing to offer before God that you are in exactly the right place to receive all that God offers. That place of admitting your own spiritual need. That is where the good life begins. But everything in us is trying to pretend like that's not where we are and that we don't really have need, that we aren't spiritually impoverished. We don't want to admit it. And I think that's why Jesus, at the end of his sermon, in Matthew 7, 14, I think that's why he says, the the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and few there are who find it. It's a narrow way because none of us want to admit that we need help. None of us want to admit our spiritually impoverished state apart from Jesus and what he does for us. There was a church that had a similar uh, problem to what I'm describing. Uh, In the book of Revelation, the church at Laodicea has this problem of thinking they're fine and have it made, but all the while realizing that they are spiritually desperately in need. Um, And so I'd like to conclude with this passage from Revelation 3, 
This is uh, verses 15 through 19. Um, And this is what Jesus, the message that he gives to the Apostle John um, to give to the church at Laodicea. He says this, I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know the way you're living. I can see it. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Yikes. Not trying to get spit out of Jesus' mouth. For you say... I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. He's offering them a different value system and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. He's offering us his righteousness to cover us, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see, so that you aren't blinded by the world, but that you can see with eyes of faith the kingdom that is advancing even now. Verse 19, Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be zealous, be passionate and repent. It's interesting, Jesus here at the end of the New Testament, last book of the Bible, is saying the same thing that he said at the beginning of the New Testament. Repent. And that doesn't mean beat yourself up and feel bad about yourself. It just means turn. Turn from going your own way and turn into going Jesus's way. Pick the narrow road. Enter through the wide gate. Admit your spiritual poverty. Repent. Friends, this is serious stuff. It should frighten us a little bit that we might be thinking, man, I've got it made. Stuff's going good. Life's good. Got the family. Bank account's going up. Housing payment's going down. Got a 401k. I've got what I need. I'm good to go. And all the while, not realizing in God's eyes and according to his kingdom that we're actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Yikes. But that place of spiritual poverty and need. That is the exact place where Jesus meets us, where he picks us up, he calls us to repent, to stop pretending like we're fine and have it made, and to start coming his way, doing things his way, living in his kingdom. And he offers us spiritual riches. He offers us treasure, not on this earth, but in heaven. He offers us the clothing of his righteousness, the covering of his perfect obedience and his his life and his death. He offers us to be able to see things from an eternal perspective. Jesus invites us essentially to see different, to be different, and to live different. And here's the thing. He offers himself as our instructor, our leader, our king, He offers his spirit as our power, not our own power, but his spirits. And he offers his body and his blood to cover all of our past sins and failures and regrets. He is the all-sufficient king who, in answer to us admitting our spiritual poverty, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that for our sakes, he became poor so that we might become rich. 
so that we might begin to actually live the good life, so that we might step back into the kingdom of God that we were made for, that we might begin to become whole and holy, the people that he made us to be. That is the invitation that Jesus gives to us. That, according to Jesus, is the good life. And as we move through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will continue to call us um, to both look deeper and to be different. To look past our external performance, to look past our outward religion, and to be different from the world and different from the customs of the people around us. Jesus wants all of us. He pushes us deeper. He calls us to be different because he wants our hearts. That's where all this begins. You can look good on the outside. You can fool a lot of people, but it starts in the heart, admitting our need for him. Admitting, just like we sang, Lord, I need you. I'm one of the poor in spirit. I'm one of the mourning, the meek. I need you. That's where this all begins. And so there are three questions I'd like to leave you with today. First is this. Are you willing to admit your spiritual poverty? To admit that maybe you've had the wrong version or vision of the good life. Are you willing to repent and allow Jesus to change you? Third, are you willing to follow King Jesus into the real, eternal, good life? I'd like to just let those questions sit with us. Um, as we enter into a time of prayer. Um, but friends, I assure you that, that everything that Jesus offers is so much more and so much more valuable and so much more worth it than anything that any kingdom of the world has to offer. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we confess that we are poor in spirit, that we are spiritually impoverished, that our lives are a mess and we cannot fix them. But Jesus, you, through your words, through your death, through your spirit, through inviting us to be one with you, you have offered us a way back to Eden, back to the life that we were made for. You have offered us a path of wholeness and a world full of all kinds of things that are promising life, but that only lead to more brokenness, more pain, more death. Oh, Lord Jesus, as we struggle and suffer in a world that is still very much living under the effects of the curse of sin and death, Lord, would you open our eyes to the kingdom that is all around us, the kingdom of heaven that's right here, as close as the air we, we are breathing. Lord, would you invite us into that greater reality? Would you open our eyes? Would you cover us in your righteousness? Lord, would you give us true heavenly riches? Lord, for all who uh, admit and know their need today, would you lift them up and comfort them and remind them uh, how much you love them? And Lord, for those who are still struggling uh, to admit their, their need and their poverty before you, um, Lord, would you uh, open their eyes and just show them uh, how clear it is that we have nothing that we can offer before you and that we need you to offer to us your love, your grace, your life. Oh, Jesus, you, you are uh, an all-sufficient Savior. 
And so we look to you this morning. Move our hearts to repent and to go your way. We trust you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.